The Nutty Bites Podcast is geek approved by the Geek Out with Mainframe Podcast. Because, hey, how can it not be? Hello, mixed nutcases. This is Nuke Jess, and thank you for joining us for another episode of Nutty Bites. Today, we've got a special treat for you. It's Intro to Ghibli, the very first episode. Spoiler alert, it's got Totoro's in it. Yes, this is going to be a new part of Nutty Bites. I hope you really enjoy it. I was really excited. I really enjoyed making this, and I'm looking forward to more. And please, please pay attention to the show art. I worked very hard on that, and I really like it. So uh, have a good listen to that. In the meantime, between now and then, uh, I just want to thank all of the patrons who helped make this possible. And I am going to just thank all of them now. So thank you to Shane. Thank you to our QA guy, Aaron. Thank you to Doc Blue. Thank you to Patrick. Thank you to Jen. Thank you to Harold. Thank you to Ian. Thank you to Aurora Lee. Thank you to Beth. Thank you to Kinsey. Thank you to Susanna. Thank you to Frank. Thank you to Melissa, the bathtub mermaid. Thank you to Lynette. And thank you to Susan. Thank you, everybody, for... Uh, supporting the podcast, for helping me out, and helping me bring out more and more content. Um, I will be planning to put this out over Balticon, so you should have this in your ear holes, either for the drive down or while you're there, or when you're sitting at home going, I wish I was at Balticon. Uh, You can listen to this, and uh, when I get back from Balticon, I should have a lot of really good content for you. So enjoy. Hello, Mixed Nutcases. This is Nuke Joss, and we've got a brand spanking new feature for the podcast for you. We are bringing you the very first episode of Nutty and Tech's intro to Ghibli. Welcome. This is where we will be, Tech and I will be watching the Studio Ghibli movies for the very first time with our veteran hosts, Jen and Jason. Say hello. Hi. Yo. And... We will go through each of these movies in a not exactly scheduled format. It's just basically when we have the time to do it, and we'll watch them for the first time, and we'll tell you our thoughts. Today, we are going to be discussing My Neighbor, my neighbor Totoro. Yes, probably the most adorable of the, Ghibli's, of the Ghibli Miyazaki characters. And likely one of the most iconic, I would think. I like how oh, I don't get an well, intro he's, the, he's the company mascot. He's the Studio Ghibli mascot. Right. And and yes, I did not actually give Tech a chance to say hello. Say hello, Tech. Hi. I'm not watching Grave of the Fireflies. I mean, hi. I'm Tech. Oh, come on. Why not? Uh, <laughs> many, many reasons. So first, let's, uh, Tech and I are going to talk about our exposure to Ghibli. Tech, you want to start? That sounds dirty. Oh my goodness, it's a kid's show. Stop that. <laughs> I didn't do it. I was I didn't. It wasn't me. Well, it, it's one this is one of those movies that is has always existed on the on the periphery of my knowledge. It's one of these, you know, came out in 88. It's always been there. There's that weird cat bus thing. There's that 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 weird big rat thing that likes acorns and I had no idea what any of this was about and Oh, it's a Totoro. Oh, it's a really cute Japanese movie. Oh, okay. I'll, I'll log that into the memory banks and I'll watch it one day. And I never watched it until very recently. Uh, stupid me. I should have watched it sooner. It's very, very good. It's uh, quite entertaining. Um, and like a lot of Miyazaki's work, can be very, very, very dark if you decide to interpret it one way and instead of taking it at face value. And I think I'll get more into that later. But it's a... Uh, it's 
I think maybe for that reason, it's one of those movies that ends up being very, very good because as you grow up, it can grow up with you and you can see more things in it and you can understand it at, at many different levels. I mean, sure, if you're eight and you watch it the first time, it's just adoring giant fat rat creatures and an eight-legged cat bus that you get to sit in and, you know, big giant Totoro monsters that snore and... And fly on a top. Oh, yes, and fly on a giant top. Let's not forget that. And play the ocarina. Indeed. Do, 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 do. Uh, so my exposure to Ghibli is I was aware of it. I knew it was something anime fans watched. Um, I remember when certain films were re-released in the U.S. Like I remember the ads for Kiki's Delivery Service being on like all of my box sets. But they looked to me in my young mind like they were knockoff Disney things. And I wasn't interested. I didn't want to see it because I th- thought, oh, it's just another one of those knockoff studios making subpar films. I'm not watching it. I was stupid. Um, then I became aware of Totoro's and fell in love with them before ever seeing the movie. And then uh, we, I finally watched the movie. And um, about 20 minutes towards the end, I start sobbing like a little girl and cursing Jason for sending me this movie, but really happy that I watched it in the end. And uh, we'll get into it, but I definitely took it in ways that um, probably is not the original intention. But I really enjoyed it, and I now am a huge Totoro fan. I have a Totoro hoodie. I have Totoro pillows on my couch. I have a pencil case. I, yeah, I'm insane now. (laughs) So, Jen, how about you? All right. So, I was introduced to Ghibli with uh, Kiki's Delivery Service. I had actually seen it on TV. And I watched My Neighbor Totoro for the first time about nine years ago. Uh, Although I was into darker animes, somebody said, hey, watch this. It's cute. And it was pretty darn cute. Uh, I have Totoro pillows and... Totoro posters and stuff like that around. Yeah, but I think you'll be excited once we get to the cat returns. Because I think that's your, that's probably the one you think the most adorable, right? With the fat yes, cat. Yes, I yeah. love the cat returns. Yeah. I guess, so, so I guess I'm, so I'll be last on this one, I guess. So, mm-hmm. uh, I, my introduction to Ghibli, like I had been watching anime for quite a while. Um, I started, you know, with DBZ and Saturday Anime on Sci Fi Channel, watching things like, you know, Demon City Shinjuku, uh, Galaxy Express 3 9, um, you know, things like that. But about third grade um, in elementary school, Virginia had a thing where they allowed foreign languages in elementary schools. And since we were this new school and uh, they were kind of had a little budgeting, um, we had a teacher, they offered Japanese because she taught at the local community college. So she had like an introductory thing for kids. And one thing she used to do was bring in raw uh, recorded off Japanese television programming. And one of which was Kiki's Delivery Service. And so that was my intro to Ghibli. Um, and then after that, it was basically just a rat race. Once I got old enough to, to buy and find my own anime, to see the different stuff from him. Um, and it was, it was, it's just a ton of stuff. And My Neighbor Totoro was one of the most iconic and probably one of the first that I watched after Kiki. Just because he's the mascot of, of Ghibli. I mean, when, every time you watch a Ghibli film or Miyazaki film, you've got this big blue screen of this awesome, adorable rabbit rat thing. And it's great. It, 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 he's fun. And he, he's, he's, it's, when you talked about how it was a, uh, kind of like you thought it was a knockoff Disney, that's not too far from the truth. Um, those guys 
got their inspiration from Walt Disney and they wanted to be the Japanese version of Walt Disney. And I think they've done that. I think they've inspired and captured that wow that Walt Disney used to do. Um, and, and, and that's why I think that's why Totoro is probably the most iconic and most enjoyable because he symbolizes that desire to be like Walt Disney and to have that, you know, innocence and wow factor. I, I was reading a thing just before we went on air about uh, they equate uh, Totoro for Japanese children uh, to Winnie the Pooh for British children. Oh, absolutely. And you I, can... I, I can agree to that. And uh, they said that, uh, you know, he's as uh, as iconic as Mickey the Mouse, uh, as Mickey Mouse, but he wishes he was, uh, but Mickey wishes he was as loved as Totoro. Oh, I, yeah. I, I think the only person that could probably rival Totoro in Japan for the love of the fans would probably be a toss up between Astro Boy and Mario. Uh, 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 I'm going to throw out another one. What about Pikachu? Oh yeah, Pikachu has come on and has a name. Pikachu. Like man, that'd be a that'd be a mascot battle royale I'd watch. Oh, could I, we get could we please get Totoro versus Pikachu for Super Smash Brothers? Man. Pikachu wouldn't fight him. Well, no, Totoro wouldn't fight. He'd just <laughs> no, fall asleep what? and roll over and then the game ends. <laughs> that, new, uh, that new game that just came out. Oh, the Pokémon tournament? Yes. Yeah, that, I actually need to I, check I that could, out. I could see Totoro thrown into that. Oh, absolutely. He, he's kind of like a Snorlax. Like, he sleeps and heals himself. Yes. <laughs> or, he'll eat exactly. veg, or he'll eat vegetables to gain power-ups. He'll summon the cat bus to fight for him. That's awesome. Um, I was looking up, and uh, the movie reviews of the time when Totoro came out are all glowing. Um, Roger Ebert gave it four out of four stars. I'm looking at the New York Times and it gave it a glowing review when it came out. So this isn't the um, the sake of uh, an anime cult hit becoming popular in the States later on. Yeah, this isn't nostalgia glasses. Yeah, this, this is. isn't nostalgia glasses. This is uh, people who at the time, you know, in the early 90s were not very... Sorry, my microphone was going away from me. Uh, at the time in the 90s, people were not very big on Japanese animation and they were giving it rave reviews so you know i I think that needs to be said before we go any further and we Mm. start discussing the movie jason could you give us a uh, plot synopsis of this movie for anyone who has lived under a rock and hasn't seen this yet (laughs) um you know honestly the plot for my neighbor totoro is is rather simple it's a it's a it's a father and his two daughters who have relocated from the city to the country because his wife, their mother, is sick. And, of course, in anime terms, it's some very vague sickness, which is generally their their, their way of describing tuberculosis or consumption. Um, and so she's moved – she's been moved to a um, – oh, what's it called? Um, sanatorium? Thank you. A sanatorium. And they've moved out to the country because the doctor said fresh air will help her and they want to get this house set up so that when she starts feeling better, she can come live with them and they can, you know, restart their life anew. Well, the kids are kind of taking it rather hard, as you would expect, because it is a very it's a very lofty subject for a child movie because the the specter of death does loom over this movie with the mother but the children, through a very whimsical and fairy tale like adventure with Totoro and the little Totoros and the cat bus, start doing things to help their mother feel better. And, you know, 
throughout it, they have misadventures and things get kind of serious when the mother can't come home because she kind of has a relapse. Uh, the younger sister kind of takes it very hard and goes missing. And through the, with the help of Totoro and the other magical creatures, uh, the older sister does find her. And we kind of we get the happy ending of them coming them, even though they're so young, coming to grips with the fact that some things don't always turn out well. We never really find out if the mother passes away or if she gets to come home. Oh, yeah. You see her come home in the it's, very end. It's in the it's in the end credits. Yeah. They do like like they have like a, a series of still images during the end credits. And you see that she comes home and then you see a bunch of scenes of her like playing with the little girls in the new house. And then you see like the, the Totoro's watching from a distance and you can totally reinterpret those. And I'll do that later. But um, the the end credit serves as an as a happy epilogue for the story. Mm. And I, I should point out also that this is written and directed by Hayao Miyazaki. It's produced by Toro Hara, which is, uh, I guess that's just the producer. Um, and the music is awesome uh, by Joe Hisashi, maybe? <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's produced by Studio Ghibli. Most of the movies that we'll be doing here are Miyazaki films, but we will be covering some others. And we have a very particular order that if you go to the Facebook group, facebook.com slash group slash Nutty Bites, you yeah. can find that order. Yeah, it's, it's one of the, uh, you, it's a file you attach to the group, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yep. It's in the file section. Yeah. It's, you know, looking... You know, it's it's see, see, this is why I like intro casts because I don't get the same perspective anymore that, that you know guys like you guys get with having you guys are coming into watching the Ghibli stuff and and seeing it almost you know for the first time and getting that like I've watched the Ghibli movies probably hundreds of times like it um I mean especially Spirited Away um, I saw I got I saw Spirited Away in theaters I think three times which I got lucky for. Um, I've seen uh, The Wind Rises in theaters, which was a, a newer G- uh, Miyazaki film, which is fantastic. Uh, it, it's about the creator of the uh, Zero Japanese fighter. Um, Tex, looking forward to that I'm one. really looking forward to that one. Yeah, it's really good. Um, I've also got to see Secret World of Our Yeti in theaters. So, you know, I've had to find ways to gain that awe. Not, not I shouldn't say gain the awe, but kind of gain that once in a lifetime to, to renew that um, yeah yeah because you know you don't it's not very often you get to see these in theaters and i would suggest if you ever get a chance to see any of these films in theaters please please go see them well i i also think it should be noted that uh terry gilliam put together a list of the greatest animated films um in Time Out magazine and he ranked my neighbor totoro as number one I I would find it very hard to argue with that unless you put it up against another Ghibli film, specifically <laughs> um, Spirited Away. Yeah, I don't have the full list. I just have that uh, snippet. And it was also number 41 in Empire Magazine's 100 Best Films of World Cinema. So that's not just animated. That's all films. You know, and the fact that this came out, you know, in the 80s, and was gaining such rave reviews, even though back then getting anime, getting your hands on anime was very hard and very random. Um, you had, you know, companies at the time like Manga Entertainment that was trying to basically sell anime for the blood, guts and violence, um, you know, of Ninja Scroll, Akira, things like that. But you had this film getting critically just lofted to the high heavens, but you really didn't hear anything about it. 
Um, and that's kind of one of the detriments of early 90s, late 80s anime was that a lot of the really, really good stuff didn't get the promotion from the distributors that it should have. Um, and I think that's traveled now, even though anime is far more prevalent, you still don't get the same support that you would need for things like, like why does Miyazaki only have one Oscar? Because he's not white. And, Go ahead, well, Tech. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not just a. It is a race thing, but I think it was a um, a push from the the North American movie houses. I mean, you look at, you know, uh, English animation, French animation, Japanese animation, Korean. Uh, the, the animation is a a, a viable adult uh, entertainment medium around the world, except in North America. And you know, Jason and I, we laugh about this all the time about the common misconception that every anime is for kids when there are many that are incredibly not. Um, mm-hmm. And Ghibli seems to be the only studio consistently around the world able to produce animated movies that break that mold that, uh, oh, it, it's just for kids. It's just for kids. And, you know, while, uh, you know, My Neighbor Totoro will appeal to a, a child audience very easily. It's not just for kids. I mean, um, and you look at like the modern Pixar fair and, you know, they make kids movies and then they, they throw in a, a couple of jokes here and there and like a, a reference in the background or a cameo from an actor that the, um, the adults in the theater that are there dragging their kids to see it, they're going to get a chuckle out of it. And, you know, they're, you know, they're going to look up from their phone for 20 seconds and, hey, that's the, that's the mailman from Cheers playing a Yeti. I get it. Ha, ha, ha. Very funny. Um, but these movies are different in that they, they somehow manage to appeal to an 8-year-old, an 18, a 28, and a 38-year-old, and an 88-year-old all at the same time, all with different material. I don't know. It's, it's genius. Uh, and and the thing that I like about it is, like, for instance, in, in Looney Tunes and in really good Pixar and Disney, you have the jokes that are meant for the kids and the jokes that are meant for the adults. And the, you know, the kids aren't going to catch the ones for the adults. But what is making the adults love Totoro is the same thing that the kids are loving. Yeah, they cute. are able to share in the jokes and in the story. And that is something that I don't think you see anywhere else. Well, it's funny that you bring up Pixar because, as we all know, John Lasseter, the executive producer and the CEO of he's the executive producer of these movies. He's also the head of animation at Disney and the head of Pixar's animation studio. Funny you should bring him up because he started out as an animator for Disney, just as Joe Schmo drawing stuff and got fired. He was canned straight up pink slipped out of Disney. Now he runs their show and he's the dude making their money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you notice with the inception of him as that guy, the, the concepts and themes of Pixar's animation and Disney's animation stepped its game up. Mm-hmm. And it actually started getting those layers. I'll point to things like Frozen, even though I have my issues with that movie. Um, I will also point to Zootopia. Things like Brave, which is a fantastic film. I love it to death. Um, and you can see those lofty goals, those those things that, yeah, they're a little bit out of the range of maybe their target, their their main target audience, but those other people who are like, ah, oh, man, I got to go see this new Ice Queen movie with my kid because they want to go let it go, and then they watch this movie and they're like, oh, 
Okay. <laughs> it's very different. It's a, it's a whole breath of fresh air. So let's let's talk more about the actual movie. And this is a spoiler warning. We are going to spoil this entire movie. If you haven't gotten the fact that we're going to spoil all of Totoro by the uh, descriptions and what we've been saying so far, now is your chance to turn it off and go watch Totoro. But don't worry. We're not going to spoil the other Miyazaki and the other Ghibli movies. We're just going to be spoiling until we get there. Because Tech and I haven't watched them yet. So. And I haven't eaten any chicken today, so I'm good. No, you haven't eaten chicken, so no spoilers. Uh, that's a reference to the Talk Nerdy to Me podcast. So, uh, first off, Tech and I, we watched the subtitled version. So, we did not watch the English version. Uh, and you two have watched subtitles? I've watched uh, both. <laughs> okay. Jen? I want to say that I, I've watched the dub. Okay. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you've watched the dub. And honestly... Um, this is an old debate amongst anime fans, subbed or dubbed. When you're coming to a Ghibli film or a Miyazaki film or an Insao Takahata film, you could watch either mm. because they don't skimp on the budget for their actors, okay? Um, prime example, Howl's Moving Castle is about a melodramatic wizard who, who, has, a, a, who has body acceptance issues, right? Played by Christian Bale, a.k.a. Batman. So you well, I mean, in this film alone, the and I kind of want to watch the uh, dubbed now be, after seeing the cast. In this film alone, the English uh, dubbed version, you have Dakota Fanning, Elle Fanning, Tim Daly, yes, Superman himself, um, Leah Salonga from Miss Saigon, Frank Wilker, Paul Butcher, I don't quite know that one, but Pat Carroll. Hmm? Of course you got Frank Welker. He's everywhere. <laughs> it's Frank Welker as, as Totoro. As and Totoro. I, like, so who is that? That's Megatron and Scooby-Doo. Yes, and Cat Bus. He also plays Cat Bus. And the Cat Bus. Here's the thing. If you need a creature to make a weird noise that's not language of any kind, yeah. it's Frank Welker. <laughs> <laughs> and you've got the, the wit- Ursula the Sea Witch playing Granny. I mean, how awesome is that? Um, and their dad is played by Superman. I mean, yeah. Tim Daly. <laughs> and and so, I mean, now I kind of want to watch the dubbed version because there's some really great actors there. Oh, I, uh, You know, you talk about the, the great actors in the dub. The Fanning sisters, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they make the dub because they literally are the two characters. They're, they're the appropriate age and they have the relationship and it literally comes through in everything they do in the movie and i really yeah, do they, think they have that connection absolutely mm. and i think they steal they steal the movie just because you can't you can't coach you can't learn how to be sisters you right. can't and that just comes through i mean if you uh, on the blu-ray they've taken the original two disc dvd uh, releases and put all the features on one blu-ray which is great and behind the scenes the fanning sisters never worked by themselves in the booth it was almost always with one another like if they were oh that's cool that's not that's not common yeah and it's it's absolutely great and it shows it's it shows in how they act and react to one another it's great that's awesome so uh i don't know the voice any of the voice actors for the subtitle you know the japanese version do you know any of them uh jason if I wanted to be, if I if I could take a shot in the dark, I'm pretty sure a bunch of them are some heavyweights. But the thing about the Japanese casting for the voice actors, it's it's Ghibli does it kind of in their own way, and I think that's one of the reasons why they have been so successful. 
is because they hold these weird like in-house auditions and it's for like the executive producer for Miyazaki and these big wigs at Ghibli. So can you imagine the pressure like you coming in to read these lines to play this cartoon character and then probably the greatest animator of all time in the history of Japan is sitting behind that uh, glass going, okay, interpret my character. And you're like, oh, crap. I need you to make I need you to make a sound like an eight legged orange cat. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good thing, because you are literally going not to the director who is the person that's going okay, well, this is how I envisioned a film, but you're going straight to the person who is literally making this, and you're getting the actual interpretation. Yeah, I think that's great. I, that's great. Yeah. Well, I will can say that uh, for the Japanese version, the voice acting was quite well done. Um, there's, there's this thing about kid actors that Tech and I just don't like. I hate when kids are screaming. Yet... In this movie, there is quite a bit of screaming, but it's never to the point that it makes you cringe. Um, There's the opening scene uh, when the different characters arrive to the farmhouse and the two girls are running around screaming, come out, come out, wherever you are. And they're able to get high-pitched, but without making you go, ugh. It's not not nails on a chalkboard. Yeah. It's it's quite amazing. So I, I give them a lot of kudos there because all I did was absolutely giggle when i watched it if you want to know the problem i have with kid actors watch star wars episode one and watch jake lloyd <laughs> that soulless i that that soulless uh bland uh emotionless robotic or uh the other and um i, I can't Give think of robot. any examples yeah, but the the other one are, are the kids that grew up stage acting who um uh you know who um over embellish every motion and every voice okay let's go and calm the frick down and there's only one example of that you know okay here we go in this movie and i and it's the theme song it's, yeah and it's it it, it works oh it's great cuz it feels like it's a john philip souza march mm-hmm. right because of the opening sequence of this movie, which is, or the title credit, the, the credit sequence, I should say, is where these little animated creatures and bugs and, and batons and vegetables are basically just marching around the screen to this little song. And it's great. It's adorable. It, it lets you know, hey, this is what you're in for. This is the movie you're coming to see. So let's let's talk about our characters and as we meet them. Uh, first, we meet uh, the dad and we meet Satsuki and May. And they've just moved to this farmhouse. And so, Tech, what are your first impressions of the characters? Um, I fell in love with this movie in the first 20 seconds with the way they animated May walking and running and jumping and climbing on things. And, you know, having young nieces and nephews myself, um, whoever drew that had to have kids himself. It's just... I don't know. There's just this really cool, like, toddler balance, arms straight out to the sides, wobbling on things, sort of. It was some of the most beautiful uh, human animation I've seen in a long time. And I just remember watching her, like, climb up a step and, like, wobble on top and then just sort of, like, bop around being, you know, a four-year-old and just, yep, that's, okay, this person gets it. This is this is really cool animation. And, uh, yeah, I'm in. I, I want to see where they go from here. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, like they were just running around that house and I was giggling and it felt very real. And there was just this feeling of joy as I watched it. You know, it's the 
the, the one of the reasons why you know in modern film we complain about way too much CGI is because when you do things like this movie, when you have to pay attention to such detail, you murder your animators, period. Like you put those dudes to task and you're saying, I'm paying you to animate, so I'm gonna, I want to see you animate. And there's so much attention to detail, like the way the grass is, the way the house looks, how if you watch throughout the movie, this house becomes progressively cleaner mm-hmm. and it starts out very dusty, very kind of dank, not creepy, but definitely not lived in. And it's very hard to depict a home having been lived in through still animation, which is what the backgrounds are, or the house for the most part is. But you also have to look at the detail, like you said, of how May and her sister run and interact and they move. They, it's two children. It's like, you know, today they'd probably mocap it or something of that extent. This is them basically saying, hey, man, I've got a you know, five-year-old little girl at the house, and she does this all the time. So let me see if I can put this into this movie. And it's great. And I think this is where we get our first Ghibli Universe cameo. Okay. With the Soot Sprites. Okay. Is that a cameo? It is, because right, the Soot right. Sprites were, in also, were also in... His probably most critically acclaimed and awarded film, Spirited Away. Um, Spirited Away won the Oscar. Um, Spirited Away is kind of what put him on the map here in America, even though for anime fans, we knew him for many things. But in Spirited Away, the soot sprites are servants to a man known as uh, Kamagi the Boiler Man. Well, in this movie, they are independent little spirits that live in this house. And they kind of become... I want to say playmates, but they're kind of the, the for the initial fascination and intro to the world of the supernatural into this movie. That's what they, that's what the role they fill. They, the the girls first see them and are kind of freaked out, and then they kind of become amused because they talk to Granny, and Granny's like, "Oh, they're just sit spirits. They live in the house. They're probably trying to figure out whether or not they should move or not." And what's the thing? You can't. You don't see them if you're looking at them? Is that what it is? Mm-hmm. Or if you're looking for them? Um, and I just have to say, Jason, uh, Totoro was first. Was he? Was yep. he before the Sith Sprites? Yep. Totoro oh. was 88 and uh, Spirited Away is 2001. So I guess this would be the inception of the Sith Sprites yeah. and their cameo is in Spirited Away. Yeah. Ah. So there we go. I, I, I had a feeling because I had to go through all the dates for the different movies when I set up the file. And I was like, I'm pretty sure Totoro's first. But yeah, so the you don't quite see the soot sprites if you're looking at them. And they don't like to be seen. And I think Granny talks about how kids can see them, but adults can't or something. Is that right? They don't like yeah. noise, right? Like, yeah, they don't like noise. So when they're running around screaming, "Come out, come out, wherever you are," it's a, it's a, they're just scaring them away. <laughs> yeah, and it's kind of funny because they kind of float away on a, on a kind of like an ethereal breeze. Mm-hmm. So I'm just assuming they're going to the the bathhouse of Spirited Away to work for Kamagi at that point. There you go. <laughs> but you know, when you go into a uh, when you go into a dark room and you open the door, the way the shadows disappear out of a room mm-hmm. yeah because you know when that light enters that room those shadows recede and you know people say that you know shadows you know inhibit corners you know or I should say inhabit corners and it's and it's that movement and and use of light that gives the 
soot sprites kind of that that their their movement their life even though we do know they move on their own but it gives them that real feel right like we've all walked and turned the light on in a room and kind of been like oh what was that and that's the kind of that's the thing that they illustrate with this introduction of the soot sprites the and the the soot sprites as well to the to the to the sisters to may and satsuki it's the you know they're unsure of where they're going, and they're you know they're unfamiliar with the with with the area, and they're like exploring this house, trying to see what they can do. Everything's kind of weird, and it's dusty, and it's not home, and mom's not here. And then there's these weird little creatures, and then they try to catch them, and they start chasing them around, and it it's sort of their it's their welcome party. It's the it's it's you know you can you can be safe here and you can have fun and that's it's it's the 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 spirits of the area, Cami, uh, if you will, um, that sort of welcome the girls. Yeah, and you know, Absolutely. and and this also gives them a sense. Of, it also gives a sense of danger a little bit to the film because these are supernatural creatures. These are basically Japanese fairy tales mm-hmm. come to life. But not all supernatural creatures, especially in Japanese folklore, are evil or yeah. dangerous. Yeah, some of them are just benign. They just kind of exist. And these, I think these soot sprites are that. They just kind of exist. They, they're created because, hey, no one's lived in this house for a while. It's gotten dusty. And then, poof, here we go. These little cute little little fluff balls exist. And, and, and empty houses are their natural habitat. So um, the girls start going to school. And um, Sasuke's at school and May is not old enough to go to school and she's running around the farm and she sees these two white ears going through the grass and she starts to explore. And it's it, it, this is the first scene that I realize, wow, nobody's watching the toddler ever. <laughs> well, you know, it's it kind of also gives you that feel of this is a very small town. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so maybe no one's physically like, what are you doing, little girl? But, you know, that older neighbor is always kind of peeking out the window, you know, or, you know, kind of just, you know, that that very close knit community feeling. And you get that throughout this entire movie about how people are all kind of. Absolutely. They just moved to this town, but everyone's concerned about their mother. Like yeah. everyone is. And it's and it, and it and it gives you a warm feeling like you don't get that nowadays, especially in bigger cities. Like you the don't way- get that that sense of community and the fact that, you know what? Back in the day, you could have let you could let your little kid go outside, and you would know that hey, your neighbors would keep kind of a little eye out to make sure they're not getting into nothing. I know. I ran around town, and my mom knew exactly where I was, like at all times. Because yeah, but the- you weren't three. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I I, I I I see where Jen's going yeah. with this, and I um, I th- this is the way I interpret it when I watch this movie is that. Okay, even if they had, you know, a, like a battalion of servants that were there hovering around May, making sure she's okay. When you're a kid, when you're a young kid and you're playing and you're playing alone, it doesn't matter if mom is in the room with you. You're playing and you're playing alone and there's nobody else there. So the fact that we don't see like an ever-present guardian is is fine because she's playing. She just went out into the yard to play around or she's going around the little creek to to, you know, to follow those little white ears you know dad or granny or somebody could be right over her shoulder but at this point may doesn't care she's playing she's exploring you know what that's a really great way of looking at it thank you <laughs> i'm looking at it totally differently now by the way that creek's gonna come into play later <laughs> so uh yeah so she disappears into the briar patch and um she she follows these two little little creatures into the camphor tree and then 
she finds a great large version of the Totoro, uh, sorry, this creature, and she takes a nap, which is exactly what I would do. <laughs> you know, he's just kind of snoring and he lulls <laughs> you to sleep. It's, it's like, okay. It's so great because she shows up. The little the little Totoro is like trying to hide behind mm-hmm. the big Totoro. Like, oh man, my, my, my big brother here will totally keep her away from me. And she's like, oh my God, pillow. And yeah. <laughs> look how soft his tongue looks. She doesn't look at the big teeth. She doesn't look at the big claws. It's just, ooh, that's a comfy tummy. By the way, Totoro has the best reaction to this. He opens an eye and just goes right back to sleep. <laughs> yep. And that's how I knew I loved him. So I, I, I remember reading something about this. I, I don't remember. So... She interprets his name as Totoro, but he really says like Tororu or something. I, f- I forget what it. I I I I forget where I'm going or or what the what it actually means that he says. But they reinterpret it as Totoro. Yeah, and well, I mean, honestly, I think it's kind of like he might have been like, "Hey, my name is this," and she's just like, "Well, I'm a kid, and you're cute, so your name is this." Yeah, my name is Megatron. If you watch nope. the 2005 Disney version. Nope, oh, your name is Maggie. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And he's exactly. just like, whatever. And he just goes back Ooh. to sleep, which is great. Because, you know, and she spends the, basically the rest of the afternoon, just or morning, I should say, sleeping with this random forest spirit, just chilling, just having a good old time. So uh, the word he says is Tororu, which is the Japanese word for troll. Ah, and she mispronounces it as she does in many things uh, to Totoro, and it's not clear in the dubbed version. By the way, by the way, I would just like to say if Tolkien had made cute, adorable trolls like this, we might be talking differently about Lord of the Rings. I I think we would. It would be very different. But uh, Tolkien smog is a Totoro. Well, Tolkien would have created a whole Totoro language, and we'd be all speaking Totoro right now. There'd be no confusion. We would know it was Tororu. Exactly. (laughs) But no, and, you know, and I think this is the first time. And again, the structure of this as a film is wonderful. Again, I cannot say enough about Miyazaki. He's a genius. Because this is paralleled in the climax of the movie. The rest of the family is kind of upset and worried because they don't know where she's gone. Mm Mm-hmm. And when they do, when the sister comes home and finds her or finds her after she's left the, well, she's woken up and left the bright patch and she explains to her, you know, hey, I, I ran into this awesome dude. He's, this, you know, this big fluffy thing in the, in the woods. You should totally come see. And, she, and the sister's kind of like, where have you been? Like, everybody's worried. Like, what happened? You know? Mm-hmm. And it's paralleled in the climax of this movie, which involves her disappearing into the woods yet again. And I think that's a really good subtle way to call back throughout your film because as this movie progresses and they interact with Totoro and more of the fan the supernatural world set forth in this movie the kids just vanish like the kids just go basically it's kind of like you know Alice in Wonderland they go through the looking glass or Mm -hmm. in this case they go through the little tunnel in the briar patch and they're in a whole different place yep Mm -hmm. And I, uh, go go ahead, Tech. We're going to need to edit this out, yeah. but I was just stuck with a mental image that I really want to do a Tolkien Totoro crossover cosplay. Could you imagine Gandalf the Grey with like the Totoro spots on the front of his robe and the ears sticking out of the hat? Why would I cut that out? That's awesome. Would that not that be cool? <laughs> that would be epic. That I would come, be great. I come at you now. 
at the turn of the tide. <laughs> and him on a cat bus. <laughs> you yeah. shall not pass. Meow. <laughs> <laughs> Meeting meeting the cat bus on the bridge with a big bag of acorns instead of a staff. And... So uh, when when the dad and Satsuki find May, that she can't help them. She's actually just asleep in the briar patch. And she tells them this story, and she can't help them find the Totoros. They look, and they look, and they look. And then they find a very large tree, and it's got, um, what are those called? The shrine things that are hanging from the tree. Oh, the, 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 like the Shinto talismans. That- yeah, yeah. And, and the dad says a prayer thanking the four spirits for taking care of his daughter that day. And that, to me, is something I love about this film, that in so many North American films, a kid has these fantastical stories and they tell it to their parents and their parents go, yeah, yeah, you were imagining things. Whereas here, the dad plays into it and, and you know, just says, you know, thank you to the spirits for taking care of my family. And he's never telling his kid, I don't believe you. He's never contradicting it. And you know I have a huge problem with that mm-hmm. trope. I've hated it since I was reading books as a kid. Um, it, it, it's one of the things that immediately turns me off of a story. It's if the story revolves around the kid knowing something and everybody else just disbelieving it because he's a kid and he's a liar and let's put him in an asylum because he believes in these magical creatures. And, um, uh, I'll give you a really good example. Field of dreams. I immediately stopped watching that movie when it turned into the fact that, Oh, so this little girl sees magical baseball men playing in the field. I need to abduct this child because this isn't nor I just know that, People need to believe their kids more often when they tell them that there's mm-hmm. magical baseball men or giant rat creatures voiced by Megatron. Uh, <laughs> it, it, no, and I agree. And and even if even if you think your child is way off, you should have that kind of a relationship that your child knows that they can tell you anything without judgment and that you'll believe them. And not just automatic disbelief that, no, you're yeah. crazy. Yeah, exactly. And And... You know, a lot of times kids, we inter- they can interpret things in different ways. So if you just disbelieve, you're completely discounting an experience your child had. Well, you know, common trope in, in Ghibli stuff is, and I think that, again, it attributes to why he's a genius. And I, I personally equate genius with eccentricities because I think Ghibli has the ability to see from that perspective. You know, he can put himself on the ground and see from the view of a child. And in his movies, he always kind of leaves something to show the viewer that, yeah, you may agree with the parent or the, or the supervisor or the guardian, but this really happened. In Spirited Away, um, the, the main character... Chihiro, Don't spoil it. Well, I, no, what I'm saying is uh, she has a hairband. Mm-hmm. and she switches it out for another one. And at the end of the movie, she has the one she switched it out for. Mm. So basically, that's a, that's a key note to the viewer. This really happened. Yeah. You know, and in, you know, and in My Neighbor Totoro, the way he does it is certain things happen, such as when they go to the forest and they want to grow vegetables for their mother. In the, in the, in the forest, in the, in the supernatural world, they grow like this huge tree and these huge plants and have this fanciful adventure they all dance around it then they 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 fly around on a magical top and and in Mm -hmm. the and in the real world you know they've had these vegetables planted for some days now and nothing's happened but when they come back the next day after their adventure with totoro 
they've got sprouts. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, it's their confirmation of what they did that previous night with Totoro worked. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he drops little hints like that throughout the movie, you know, throughout this entire movie to show that this this is real. Just like we introduced the world to the soot sprites in the beginning to set you up for the world that you're about to become a part of. But isn't he, that isn't that what being a kid is is all about though? Yeah. Having this grand, magical, wonderful adventure with you you know, with your brothers and sisters and with your family and your friends and all this really cool stuff happens and then at the end it was a trip to the dentist. <laughs> yeah. In this case I didn't make I didn't make my my vegetable garden grow. <laughs> Um, so another iconic scene is when they're waiting for the dad's bus <laughs> and, uh, he's not on the bus that they thought he was going to be on and they're standing and they're waiting in the rain and it's raining and it's raining and it's raining and May falls asleep. And all this time, Satsuki had wanted to see the Totoros and then the cat bus shows up and Probably. the Totoro gets out. As a cat, as a crazy cat, man, I am... I am always ecstatic and excited when Cat Bus is involved. <laughs> oh, wait. I'm sorry. I got that backwards. Totoro comes and waits at the bus stop for the Cat Bus. And he's just, he's just chilling, being a dude. She's got an umbrella. He's got this big leaf on his head. And then he starts playing around with the umbrella, and he likes the noise that it makes. So he, like, jumps up and smashes all the rain off the tree. And um, again, It's so great. You know, for a character who doesn't speak other than, like, the few roars that he does, he's very... He's very expressive yes. like he, like when he first shows up at the bus stop he's just standing there and the little girl looks up at him and he kind of looks down at her and it's kind of that awkward moment of hey just waiting for the bus huh? <laughs> <laughs> and it's and, great and she gives um she gives away her her umbrella and and that's another one of those things because it shows up later when she doesn't have an umbrella and and her neighbor has to uh, share his. The neighbor, by the way, which is totally little tech. By the oh, way, yeah, absolutely. By the way, who here hasn't tried? Who 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 has had a tree small enough to move if you pushed it? Like I had a dogwood tree in my my yard growing up. Who here doesn't shake the branches to make the water fall off when it rains? Right, absolutely. And so. <laughs> Again, Totoro is the embodiment of that childish wonder when he mm-hmm. totally jumps and makes that stuff fall. And I totally agree. The neighbor is a little tech. Yeah. Just, you know, it's, I think all he needs now is to talk about how he's like, you know, he's, he's he, you know, talk about how he enjoys, he, his dad was in the military or something and he wants to go join. Like, that's, that's all they need. Like, well, I'm like, he's even wearing like a military cap, right? Yeah. Which is obviously not his. Um, but the fact that, He's so terrified of talking to girls is so <laughs> little deck. Ah, girls. <laughs> <laughs> and um and 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 I I don't know why but uh May makes me think of little Jen even though I didn't know Jen when she was little. I was actually just kind of in my room with a book most of the time at that age. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then I am way wrong. <laughs> actually, little May is me. Oh god. Except, except no. Honestly, you know what? It's you would be surprised at how much time I spent outside as a kid. Back to my uh, my 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 fear of girls, <laughs> which is now a topic on this podcast. Um, the that scene from Inside Out when the main character meets the guy at the hockey rink, and then it goes inside his brain, and it's just like red sirens going off, and girl, 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 and he's just frozen in yeah, pretty much like that. <laughs> Is that how all young boys are at first? Like, <laughs> pretty much. 
You know, and I think we'll talk about actually I think we'll talk about this far more when we get to Ponyo. But I think again, I think again, Miyazaki's a genius and he's very eccentric. Or eccentric. Eccentric because he, he knows the five dollar words, he just can't pronounce them. Exactly. <laughs> Simonin. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but no, he Miyazaki can I guess relate to it. And I and honestly, I think it's because he is that dude. Like like I think he's like Hi, I've been drawing pictures for about four days now. Um, you're a human being. And <laughs> he, he just kind of gets it, right? Like, he just kind of gets it. Well, um, especially for n- my neighbor Totoro, uh, Miyazaki based a lot of this stuff on his own childhood. Um, the fact that his mother had spinal tuberculosis and was m- away from home quite a lot. And, and that was a big influence it doesn't surprise me that there's a lot of self-referential stuff in his work. The well, the the illness, illnesses and disease post World War II, if I'm not mistaken, shows up in a couple more movies. I think there's a couple other of the movies that deal with tuberculosis, right? Uh, no, well, the wind rises. It's a big thing because of the main character's uh, wife in that movie. Okay. Uh, World War Two plays a big a big thing in uh, the wind rises, of course, and also Porco Rosso. Um, and also, um, in the movie you will refuse to watch, aka Grave of the Fireflies, um, it pu- it plays a big part in that, which is in a South Takahata film. Um, but Miyazaki has a lot of self-referential stuff in his work, like The Wind Rises, like Porco Rosso, like this, but also in things like you know Laputa Castle in the Sky, where he enjoyed Pippi Longstockings, and so he gives a character in that in that film, the, the look of an adult aging Pippi Longstocking. So he, in, he doesn't mind throwing in his own personal likes or personal experiences into anything. And I think, is it at this point or is it a little further that we get the one controversial scene to some people, which is where after the girls have gone out and had some fun with Totoro and, and run, running about, they come home and we get a bath scene with the father and his two daughters. Oh, that's actually, we pass that. That's in the beginning. Yeah. That, that's one of the first things that they do that make it feel like a home is when the three of them take a bath together. And, and I, they, it's just innocent. That's controversial. Yeah. Do people lost their minds? One of the reasons why they didn't want Totoro released here in the States was because a father was in a bathtub taking a bath with his children. It's it's a, it's a single father raising two children. Guess what? Bath time's gonna happen. Yeah, it's, it's not a big deal. Well, it's, here's it's like that whole controversy right now with uh, people wanting the baby changing stations in the men's bathroom. I mean, it's a single father. He has to take care of the kids too. Little yeah. little little information about baby Jason here. Until I was probably about the age of the older sister in this, I took baths with my mom. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, I'm not even a mom and I've taken baths with kids um, when I was babysitting, like, my my niece or nephew. And it was it was bath time. So the easiest way to do it is get in the shower, take a shower with the kid. Boom, boom. You're done. Yeah, especially when kids because here's the deal. One thing that kids don't want to do is stop playing and go take a bath. Yeah. So if you can continue playing in the bath. They're all gravy. They're golden. It's good. They don't even care. Some people get very wrapped up in the idea of, oh my gosh, nudity. Um, And it's a very new North American idea. Um, I mean, 
when I was probably May's age, I was still being washed in a big tub on the dock at, uh, at, at Fire Island growing up because my mom would give the baby's baths right there on a picnic table. No big deal. Uh, I could not imagine seeing that happen today in North America because people would go, oh, my God, it's a baby. Put some clothes on him. Well, dude, one thing I, you know, it's also about the whole breastfeeding thing, which is stupid. But It is. You know, one of the things that I also noticed in this movie is that the father's a good dad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We don't get that very much in modern film or animation today. Like, there's always a good parent and a terrible one. Yeah. You yeah. Know, there's, there's the one struggling to make it work, and then there's the terrible one, right? Well, even, the- even in this, you get that, too. I mean, you've got the good dad, then you've got the terrible mom who's being so selfish that she's decided to go to <laughs> some spa resort to deal with her tuberculosis and just abandon her children. Yeah, and so this poor put upon. Obviously, he's the he's the Japanese businessman. Just the way he's dressed. And, you he's know, a professor. Yeah, you know. So the fact that he has to deal with this and then come home and take care of his kids, and they're talking about fairies and trolls and 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 magic, and he's like, Let, "Let's just take a bath, guys, and we'll, we'll have some dinner." And Daddy's got to go to go to bed. He's got to work because that terrible mother, that 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 that, 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 that terrible mother, hurts hurt her. I'm sick and I feel <laughs> bad. Like, but I mean, she's, that's... Got, she's got a man cold going on. <laughs> <laughs> Tuberculosis. <laughs> yeah, seriously, though, that's. But by the way, in a modern times, she would be the villain. Like, it's like she would be one of the antagonists of this film because she's just putting so- either that or they'd make him a bad dad. Like, oh, it's absolutely. just unfortunate that that's the way that it is i mean yeah tech is right this is one of the rare occasions that you see good people all around like there's no villains the villain is life yeah the villain is bad things happen yeah and you can't control it and we're, we're just about at that scene in the movie where uh may disappears yeah um oh, the way they announced that is whoo so before- is this the shoe yeah, it's a shoe. Oh man. Okay, so we 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 briefly talked about how they tried to make things grow. Um they were supposed to go see the mom, but it got put, set back because she she needed more treatment or whatever. She was supposed to come home that weekend. Yeah. And and so May decides she's going to go to the hospital and bring some fresh corn to her mother. She's picking corn with Granny and Granny's talking about how her corn is really good and healthy and it'll help her mom. And while May takes it very literally and she starts walking to find mom. Well, you know, why and they would, find her shoe. If you were if you were May, why wouldn't you though? You've you've had these yeah. wonderful adventures with Totoro, you've made plants grow, you've 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 got you flew all over the place on a spinning top. You've got solid examples of how the magical supernatural world influences the real world, so you know your efforts are not for naught. So why not? And she's young as it is. I mean, she's going to take it literal. Yeah. And she takes a risk. And man, does this movie take a turn. So when that shoe shows up, (laughs) I am bawling my eyes out. I am crying and crying and crying because I don't know how this is going to end. By the way, the exact pink shoe that Mm -hmm. we see in this scene is also parroted in spirited way just stop with the spoilers man jeez you're bad spoiler it's tell me when we cover spirited away miyazaki loves parallels like it's It's also uh pretty much it looks like may's shoe and 
So all of the community get together and everybody's searching the river and they're looking all around. And Can I add a, a, go a ahead. point on that? So when you see the, uh, when you see the, the, you know, when Sasuke finds the shoe and then I, I, I don't know, I just, how dark is this movie going to turn? And I'm, I'm thinking, I'm thinking this to myself. I'm like, this is like a critically acclaimed kids movie. Everybody loves this. And I mean, I'm getting pretty snuffly and I still got like a half hour to go in this thing. I mean, if this thing ends with the kid's funeral, I am not going to be a very happy tech. And uh, I, I want this to end on an up note, please. I mean, this has been awesome so far, and I'm all about it, and I'd like to watch this again. But if this, is, if this ends with a four-year-old's funeral, I'm never watching this again. And, and I'm sitting there next to him because I had seen it uh, like a week prior, and I'm like, don't worry. Just, just watch. Just hey, watch. <laughs> point, of, point of order. If it's Sal Takahata wrote this... <laughs> It probably would have ended with a funeral for both kids and the mom, and the dad would have been contemplating seppuku. That's horrible. No, at that point, it, well, I'd, you know, let, let, let's go completely macabre. They pan out, and then you see the welcome to Nagasaki sign, and then the bomb, and oh. then, you know, the no. end. And the worst part is, yeah, that's the South Takahata, right? <laughs> uh, any movie you watch of his, that's about it, except for My Neighbors the Yamadas. Which, 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 which it's, comes up it's on our list. And it's completely different. The only movie of his that's happy. Okay. <laughs> only one. So, only one. So you're watching this and you're feeling kind of panicked. And Satsuki runs to the tree and she's just begging the tree to help her. Begging the tree to help her find. I mean, she walks all the way to the hospital. She walks all the way back. She goes on the other side. And this girl's in great shape, by the way. She is, she is walking all over this town like running walking and she's just having no luck finding her sister and, and this is this is another thing um that miyazaki's doing you know from the eyes of the children mm-hmm. maybe she just went you know 300 yards we don't know yeah. what the real distance we don't know the topography of this town but to an eight-year-old you know this this arduous trek to and from the, the hospital could have been two blocks over yeah, it's the it's the middle of the night. She's afraid. She wants to find her sister. You know, she has to go through this intersection to this thing to this other town, and there's all these things. It it could be a very small footprint. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the score is very subdued. It's great, but it's very subdued. It's not that. It's you know, it's not trying to force you into this tension because the tension's there. The tension's building. Because you're just because you have no clue where May is, oh, yeah. and you re- and you really feel lost, and you really feel like you want to find May too, and I really want a happy ending mm-hmm. to this. And can we all say thank God Danny Elfman didn't do the score? Yes, thank you. <laughs> um, well, and and to to put more to text point there, um, when I was in middle school, I was dating a boy, and I thought I was in a long distance relationship because he was in another town and another school. <laughs> and growing up, I actually moved to that town. And I was like, dude, this is five minutes from my mom's house. Why did I think this was so far? <laughs> well, it, you know, it's like when I was growing up, like one of the things that I thought was a symbol of me becoming a man was when my aunts allowed me to ride my bike to the store. Ooh. I do. It was two blocks away. <laughs> and I'm just like, yeah, I'm a man. I'm, I'm riding my bike. Yeah. 
My my nephew's going through that. His mom is allowing him to stay home alone oh, while she goes to the store. When in reality, it's not really alone because your neighbor's got binoculars like watching <laughs> you. Like, or they'll come over for some reason. Like, how I you need doing? To borrow some eggs. Yeah, how <laughs> you doing? And you're just like, I'm home alone. Go away. <laughs> 84, 84 webcams in the house going to a live feed on the cell phone. <laughs> they catch you doing your best Ferris Bueller reference. <laughs> You're just walking around in that red robe like, yeah. So, um, so then Totoro comes and the cat bus comes. And this is one thing that I had to look up on the FAQ, but I really like it. Um, Oh, and now I went away. And it talks about the uh, designation on the cat bus. Yeah, so the first time we see it. Going to dark places. It's not going to dark places. First time we see the cat bus is when Totoro gets on it and it, it's saying that it's going to that forest. Uh, next is um, it, it when when at this point when it goes from the forest name, it switches to Nagasawa to... Uh, Ushinuma, then, then to May. Then to May. So the designation changes that they're going to May. And then when they get, find May, it says they're going to the hospital. And apparently um, the kanji is like upside down at some point, which shows that the cat bus isn't very good at kanji, which is cute. Well, you know, to keep with the childish spirit, because kids, you know, it's why little children are easily turned into ambidexterity. Because they'll write with their dominant hand, mm-hmm. it gets tired, and they'll just switch to the other hand, no yeah. problem, and just keep on trucking. Yeah, well, and I think for like a North American audience, that was, would be the equivalent of uh, writing your R or Bs or Ds backwards, you yeah, know? Yeah, an upside down E or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. Um, my, my little sister broke her wrist in third grade. She broke her right wrist. Uh, she fell down off the monkey bars. But she had a bunch of writing assignments to do, so she just wrote for six weeks with her left hand. Now my sister's ambidextrous. Well, now, I, now I'm going to make an aside here. I do this a lot. It's fine. It's what happens when I'm on the show. Can we just say monkey bars as child play things are dangerous? Can we just say that? Can we just say that? Because how many kids have fallen from them and broken a limb? Hey, I, cr- I cracked a rib in seventh grade on a, on a set of monkey bars. But here's the thing. They, they are not dangerous. They are tools to teach you what acceptable <laughs> risk means. Exactly. I, they, ha- I used to hang on monkey bars upside down. I never broke anything. Well, that's how, my, that's how my sister broke her arm. She was hanging upside down and then she fell. Exactly. But how many See, kids- she shouldn't have fallen. <laughs> Exactly. How exactly. many kids do you know have hung from hung from that and just fallen and gotten like head trauma or broken limb or just bounced off the ground and be like, man, that sucked. Let's do that again. See, I, you 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 go all crazy about monkey bars. I used to climb trees that went up and over my house. Yeah. By, by the way, remember those one jungle gym things where it was basically just a pyramid made out of metal bars? Oh yeah 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 yeah. <laughs> and and the goal was to get to the top. You play like, king of the castle. Can you imagine falling between those things? You're dead. You're totally dead. It would, it would be like like that scene from like the first a couple of seasons of The Simpsons when Homer is on the skateboard and he falls down Springfield Gorge. There's a park near my mom's house that when I was a kid, I swore it had the biggest slide ever that I had ever seen. And it, it still does have the biggest slide I've ever seen. 
but it's not that big. <laughs> but I remember thinking it was a couple of stories and it was one of those metal slides. So in the summer, it really hurt. Oh, man, you're getting sizzled. And <laughs> and I look at it now and I'm like, that is not scary. <laughs> Why did I think that was scary? See, we who grew up with snow, and I'm sure Jen can... Uh... Uh, agree with me here. Those those of us who grew up with snow have our own version of these death sports called tobogganing or sledding. Hey, I tobogganed. <laughs> Not like we did. <laughs> I tobogganed on the edge of a cliff, dude. You probably didn't toboggan off that metal slide. No, I did not toboggan off the metal slide. Because in truth, the toboggan would have taken up half the metal slide because it was a 12-person toboggan. Yeah, but those uh, <laughs> you, you should see toboggan slides. They're like 50, 60 feet long. They're usually built at the top of a hill. They're covered yeah. in ice. Mm-hmm. And you know, I you know, I make this aside to say, as children, we don't care. No, Mm-mm. we're invincible. No, so that means running through the forest, playing with a troll god that could potentially be an angel of death, making vegetables, having fanciful adventures of flying and and distributing crazy powers, doing demon worshiping spirit dances in the middle of the night while Rat God plays his ocarina. We don't care. We don't care at all. And that is the point. I think that was absolutely the point of this movie is that children see things completely differently than they do. Uh, the, the, the cat bus. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It, An adult would probably pee themselves or or readjust their dose of LSD at this point. So Either. getting back on track, they find me. Spoiler alert. May lives. Yay. <laughs> um, they find her. And she's just trying to find mom. And even though they find her, your heartstrings are still being tugged because she just wants to see her mom. And they go and they see the dad and the mom in the hospital room. And the kids don't even have to go in and say hi because they know mom's all right. And they, they, it's a wonderful reunion. They see everybody. They leave an ear of corn. Yeah, they leave the, the ear of corn. I, and I think there's like a name on it too, right? I think it's like they put the mom's name on it or something. With this scene, with this whole, with this, with the summation of this climax, Pixar, you can thank Miyazaki, by the way, mm-hmm. for all, for for Let It Go, for Brave, Disney. You can thank them too for like Zootopia, all the all these movies with their layers and their really adult finishes. Because yes, on the on the surface, this is just kids, you know, taking a risk because they're upset. And, uh, you know, adults coming, helping them, saving them, finding them, and then explaining to them, hey, you can't do this. That, that's very dangerous. Yep. But and- when you put it all together, man, this is a lofty concept, right? Like you're basically saying that your mother had a relapse of tuberculosis, almost died. The daughter heard about it, got really upset, thought that her magical – Totoro powers could save this child because kids have vivid imaginations and she found her way to her mother or tried to at least got lost had to get saved by the other child but then both of them had to be found and rescued by the father because he's losing his mind mm-hmm. because his two girls have vanished in the middle of the night but yet somehow they make it out okay mm-hmm mm-hmm and it's because of a communal sense of family. Because mm. every, like you said, everyone in this town turns out for this. Yeah, they, they all show up. They're all looking for her. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, there's, a, there's a, if I remember, like, there's a storm going on that night. Yeah, it rains. I think it rains some. 
Yeah, so there's a you know the, the, there's nasty weather, and you see everybody's out there, and everybody's got this incredible sense of urgency that you know these are the new people in town, but you know we have a we have a lost child we got to look for. Now we have two lost children we got to look for. And Granny feels really bad mm. because Granny told her you know the corn was special, mm-hmm. and it would you know make her feel better. And so Granny's it's it's like when. It's like when grandma tells you Santa Claus is real, but somehow some douchebag at school tells you he's not. And now you're conflicted and you're upset. And now, you know, your parents have to decide whether they're going to continue with this perpetrated white lie, which makes you feel good and ha- gives Christmas some meaning and, and, and all that jazz. This sounds a, very personal. I have, a, they, I have a little tech story. Or they oh. can shatter your dreams and tell you that no, Santa Claus isn't real, and that. Well, they- why would you say that? Don't say that on this podcast. We are here at the Nutty Bites podcast. We are neither confirming nor denying the existence of Santa oh, Claus. I confirm that he is real, and he there probably rides a Totoro. Handwriting <laughs> <laughs> looks like my mom's. <laughs> <laughs> little so, tech. Okay, I have a I have a little tech story. So you know, we all know that Santa Claus. Who is very real uh, comes down the chimney to deliver your presence. I was, five, I was five or six. Uh, my dad was in. Uh, my dad was deployed to Cyprus for six months on a peacekeeping mission. So we were living with my grandparents uh, in Quebec, and we had to go down. Uh, my my great grandfather had a workshop, a carpentry workshop in the basement. We had gone down that day to watch him build wooden toys, and he would build like wooden trucks. So we'd be with Santa. I, I guess I hung out with Santa. But anyway, so we're down in the well, basement. Well, you know the North Pole is in Canada, right? Right. So I, I remember going to um, going down into this workshop and passing by the furnace and the, the chimney connected to the furnace. And I remember seeing the pilot light and then the furnace kicked on and you saw the burner's light. When I went to bed that night, you know, everybody's telling us that Santa's going to come down the chimney and deliver the presents. And I remember seeing the pilot light and the burner light and thinking, we are going to burn Santa to death when he comes down that chimney and hits the furnace and I'm not going to get any presents. And I got really, really mad. I'm, they, they're trying to get me to go to bed and I am just upset and bawling and downstairs about how we have to turn the heat off because we're going to kill Santa and I'm not going to get any gifts and... So mom and my grandma had to explain to me that Santa was magic and he had like asbestos pants and that he'd be okay <laughs> and you know that that he would he would find he he knows where the Christmas trees are and yes he comes down the chimney but he'll magically make his way and don't worry you'll get your presents and everything's going to be fine and the furnace won't burn Santa and by the way and now that you're an adult you're thinking oh my god Santa's got lung cancer because of all the asbestos pants <laughs> but by the way kudos to the animators in movies that depict santa you know having the wink power where he like puts a finger on the side of his nose winks and turns into fairy dust and goes through the chimney Mm. explains why a jolly man who eats nothing but cookies and milk can get down this chimney with no problems you know no one says he only eats cookies and milk Ah, uh, on that note, uh, we have to add, um, I have to add a, a little Dom story. So my little sister, uh, who thought it was very, very rude and very, very mean that we would only give cookies and milk to Santa while the real work was being done by the reindeer. So my sister, who's now in her mid-30s and has three children of her own, carries on this tradition that they put out cookies and milk and carrots for the reindeer. That's awesome. Yep. That's how, by the way, I'm pretty sure the dad in Totoro does that. absolutely he leaves acorns out for the totoro so one of the other things i want to point out is the parents find the ear of corn 
another link saying this thing actually happened. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's, that's what I'm saying. Which is why when the fans... Let's get, let's, get, let's get this now since you talked about it. When the fans theorize that Totoro, that adorable rabbit rat looking thing, is the spirit of death. Spirit of death. They are wrong. So let's, let's explain the fan theory. The fans believe, many fans believe, that Totoro is the spirit of death and you see him when you are close to death. And this is why May sees him. And that May, when they find May Shu, she actually is dead. And when Satsuki goes looking for her, she dies too. And she and May are in the afterlife now. And that when they go to visit the mother and the yeah. mother sees them and she sees the ears of corn, the mother has passed away in the hospital yeah. as well. Which is very, very dark. Isao Takahata might have took a pass on this fan script. I disbelieve he is not the spirit of death, but I truly believe that Totoro is a spirit that you can only see when you need Totoro. So well, May needed Totoro because May was, fe- May was feeling lonely and was lost from her mom. Satsuki needed it for similar reasons. Say I think he's more the spirit of hope. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. You have to believe. Like, Mm -hmm. honestly, it's like, you know, Christmas, we talk about Christmas a lot because Christmas has become one of the most commercialized, overdone, Walmart starts it in June uh, (laughs) holidays. But if you actually believe, none of that matters. Mm -hmm. Because it is a wonderful holiday of getting together with family and having awesome food and you know, picking on your cousin for when that time he tried to date that chick and he sneezed and had a snot bubble. Like, you know, it just, you know, it's that, you know, that get together moment. And with Totoro, I think that is totally true. Like, if you believe and understand and, 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 and want to make things better, you know, through your belief and through your honest actions, Totoro's going to help you out. Yeah. Totoro's cool. So, so, uh, why don't May and Satsuki see Totoro at the in the credits when Mom comes home? Why is Totoro in the distance? Because they don't need her him anymore. They don't need him anymore. Yeah, moms absolutely. come home. They feel better. They are loved. Their community loves them. They're playing with friends. They have mom. They don't need Totoro anymore. Even little and tech, it's beautiful. Par- Even little tech is playing with them. Oh, by the way, uh, the older sister and little tech get married. By the way, I'm just saying that they're getting. That's your fan fiction. Yep, totally. But my thing is, reason why a good parallel to this, why they don't see it. Hey, Tech, you get some. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I'm I'm picturing their wedding officiated by the great Totoro. Oh, yeah, absolutely. With a little collar. So so I'm guessing uh, the bride is given away by the dad, is given given away by the dad, of course, but the cat bus is the best man. (laughs) No, uh, the the cat bus has got like cans and like a just married thing on his tail. (laughs) But no, um, reason why we were talking about this is because Frosty the Snowman has the same finish. If yeah. You, in his story, he tells the kids, you know, you guys can have fun in the winter without me. You know, I'll always be with you, but I got to go because, you know, I can't exist in the summertime. So I got to go to the North Pole, but next winter I'll be back. Mm. And, you know, and I think that's the same thing here where Totoro is just kind of like, you guys did what you needed to do, and I helped you out, and you guys saved your mom. That's cool. I love you guys, but I got to go. Yeah, you, n- you need to live a real life. Yeah, I'm Totoro. I got to go handle shit. I gotta so go handle 
when when I, I first watched this, it, they don't very specifically say that it's tuberculosis. And when I first watched this, I remember sending a message to Jason and I'm like, is mom in a mental institution? <laughs> because I thought mom was suffering from mental illness and she couldn't come home because she had a, a, a bit of a hard time with it. And that it just spoke volumes to me. And that's how I saw it. I thought saw it as a, a mental health issue. Have you? I, to, I think I had to explain the trope of if, yeah. if, if they if they're coughing and there's some blood on a napkin and they're in. Well, a but there's no blood on the napkin. They're very it's just her recovering. Well, there's no blood in this movie yeah. at all. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, and if they're in a place with a bunch of other people and they're sick yeah. and it's kind of basically like they got a really bad cold, it's tuberculosis. Mm-hmm. Like, that's just how, because this movie's for kids, that's how they depict it. She just has a really yeah. bad cough and is kind of weak. And if you listen to the mother's voice acting, the way she talks in both the sub and the dub, it's very subdued and kind of slow and deliberate, kind of denoting. Which that is, just went towards my mental health thing. When, so, Tex, you wanted to say something. My my theory when I watched this was that um, uh, the feeling I was getting from the movie the whole time until we see mom in, in the hospital, I thought the mother was already dead and that Totoro, uh, the spirits, was the mother reach, reaching out and protecting her children. That's that sweet. Is, that's a very good concept, and that could be very true um, if you think about it, right? That's why she pays no mind to May when May shows up and just, I'm going to sleep on your belly. And, you know, you know how she always assists them in their wildest little delusions. <laughs> you know, she's like, I'm going to grow vegetables and it'll make my mom better because this carrot is awesome. Yeah. And even, you know, in, in a scary moment, like they're out in a storm, they're waiting for the bus, they're alone. It's scary. What does Totoro do? plays with her mm-hmm. plays a little game he makes it fun he exactly. makes makes waiting for the bus fun so i think this this movie is something that we can interpret pretty much however we feel that we want to and we've already discussed how fans have done that um so i want to just go around now and if er- everyone can tell me their favorite part or a favorite quote from uh from this movie I can't do a Megatron impersonation, but just him snoring when she sleeps on his belly, I think is my, my favorite part of the movie. And uh, for long lasting impact, I want, I, ever since I've watched this, I've wanted to put Shinto talismans on the tree in my backyard. <laughs> I've got this huge, like 60 foot maple tree in my backyard. And uh, just that big, that big braided rope with those little white zigzags. I want to hang it from the tree i gotta figure out for uh first i gotta figure out if i'm gonna blaspheme and if i'm gonna get like angry spirits that are gonna demolish my house first but i really want to do it i think it'd be cool i think that'd be really great um jen so my favorite part had to be uh when they were waiting for the bus actually when totoro showed up with the big leaf on his head um it he had such childhood enthusiasm when the raindrops were hitting the umbrella <laughs> that it was just it's one of those things that you know kind of sticks with you so that was that was probably my favorite part that that look on his face when yeah. he's just standing there with the leaf and just this isn't an umbrella but it's working the same right i got this is this, <laughs> is this cool am i doing it right <sighs> see for me I have to say it's a couple moments, but they're all 
Totoro doing things without speaking or doing any real acting. Like the first one is when Maeve meets him for the first time and she jumps on his belly and goes to sleep and he just kind of lifts up that half that that open that eye halfway, sees her and goes back to sleep. Or when he's at the bus stop and he's got the leaf and he looks down, she looks at him and he's just chilling there. Or when they're sitting there waiting by the plants and they're just staring at the plants trying to make them grow. And Totoro shows up like, hey. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, trying to make some plants grow. I got you. Watch my leaf. Like, it's just those non-spoken, just expert, those things that he expresses without doing anything, honestly. Like, he's just really not doing anything. And it just really, really enjoyable for me. Mm. Nutty. Um, I think I think I'm gonna say that my favorite part is uh, them running after the sprites, uh, the come out, come out wherever you are scene. It's just it's so much joy, and I love all of the scenes that you guys talked about. But that is to me the most joyful moment, and it just makes me happy. And pretty much anything with Totoro's also are just great. You know, in in that scene, by the way, we forgot to say that the dad joins them. Yeah. Oh, yes. absolutely. Well, and it's, that goes into him encouraging their stories. And being a good dad. Yeah, and being a good dad. Um, so uh, what would we rate this? Um, can I talk about, before we get to yeah, the rating, go can right I talk ahead. about what didn't work in this movie for Okay, me? what didn't work? The theme song. What? What? I, uh, and uh, I'm sorry. I, I just, it, the... At least the version I maybe there's a different yeah. version. Maybe I maybe I heard it wrong. But just the Totoro Totoro, it seems too too whimsical for this movie. It 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 does it doesn't seem to match the theme that or the pace that the rest of the movie had. Maybe if it was a I I, I don't know. It, it just seemed a little too simple for such a complex if, movie. If, if that See, one was too whimsical, I think the Hey Let's Go might be too whimsical. Yeah, yeah. But say dub they change it. And it's yeah. here we go. Dun, 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 dun. And it's it's very March and whimsical and bouncy. And I have to agree with Tech. <laughs> Thanks, a, Jen. Is it a 50-50 right now? Like me my, and Nutty are all about is, this. My you guys thing aren't? is, when I first watched uh, My Neighbor Totoro, it, my, it didn't bother me. Jen, keep it rolling when, while I look this up on Google. When I watched it later on, actually quite recently, uh, I was sitting there listening to it and I was like, Wow, uh, this this song just doesn't fit the the feel, and so I'm kind of glad that somebody else said something because I know that this song is quite loved. It is. It, it's very much well, loved. It's, it's not. It's not a bad song in and of itself. Oh, I it gotta say, it just it. Fit. No, it doesn't fit <laughs> the, the 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 rest of the movie. I. I I don't know what would have made it better. I'm not. A, I'm not a composer by any means, but it just it doesn't. Well, I think I've got it here. There it is. I'll I'll add it in later. Oh, I was I was I was sitting here on my phone like I gotta find it I gotta find it. But here's the deal, guys. You talked about how fanciful and magical it is to be a child. Did any? Am I the only one who had a parade of ima- of imaginary friends in the backyard to something of this nature? Like I would love to have a march like Let's Go theme song no yeah. and and you're right so maybe but the so i remember the, the the songs that i used to sing as a kid and like the the tapes and the the records remember those record remember the record they look like black cds remember those um the music that i listened to as a kid um if they had gotten a childhood entertainer 
who writes songs for children to write a children's song is the theme. I'm thinking, you know, and I'm thinking of the '80s. So you know, like Sharon Lois and Bram, or Fred Penner, or Raffi, or you know, a hundred of the. Can, can you pick a non-Canadian? Well, no, because that's the kids' shows that I grew up watching. I, I don't know any of your American shows. Well, fine. Sharon, Sharon and Lawrence? Not Sharon Lawrence. Sherry Lewis? Well, well, Lamb Chop Lady. Yeah. Okay, there you go. That's that's one. Or, um, oh my God, could you imagine the theme song done by Fred Rogers? Aww. That, it oh my fit. God, I need Totoro's to come to the land of make-believe. That would be so cute. King Ri- Friday would give them a royal decree. Riding the trolley. Oh, it's so cute. Rogers would be adorable. And Lamb Chop would be addictive. Can you doing that together would ruin someone's household. <laughs> like people thought Let It Go was addictive. <laughs> no, the song that doesn't end is addictive. Because not only <laughs> cute and, and 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 fun, it doesn't end. This is the song the that doesn't it's loop. end. Cause it goes on and on. Okay, 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 okay. No, 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 none of that, none of that, none of that, no, 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 none of that. I'm turning your mic off. There we go. Um, and they'll continue singing it forever. Because this is a song. Can you imagine an army singing that song as they come over a hill? Like it's just like it's just these like it's like I turned your mic off. Here we go. Hang on. Go ahead, Tech. This is the song that does it. It's like a 10,000 man battalion. It would be very, very distracting. Can you imagine, though, like a 10,000 man battalion coming across the hills singing that song and the opposing force is like, oh, my God, they're insane. Their psychological warfare is too strong. We must abandon our posts. (laughs) Run for the hills. All right. So are, are there any other things that we want to naysay or take away from this that you didn't like? Honestly, no. And I'm not saying that. I loved the movie. But I'm not oh, saying, I loved it too. I'm not saying my neighbor Toto is perfect because you know perfection is a hard thing to achieve. But when, when a boss. when a movie can inspire such childish awe and fascination and a whimsical imagination and fanciful land, you know, just in the confines of a what hour and change movie. Can Can I just point out, by the way, that this is a movie that. In the last couple of years, Tech will watch a movie, say, I really enjoyed it, and then a week later come up with all of the problems that the movie had. This is a movie that the only problem he has is that the theme song doesn't fit. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, and, you know, I, I, don't, give, I don't give good scores out, or very high scores out quite often, um, but I am going to give this um, five out of five bags of acorns. Well, here's the deal. It's only an hour and 26 minutes. Mm-hmm. You're in it, you're out. Easy. An easy eighty-six well, it, minutes. It still is a child's movie. I mean, so what are your ratings? Um, I'm going with Tech. Five out of five bags of acorns. <laughs> Same rating system, Jen. Five out of five. Out of five. Acorns, bag of acorns. Come on, come on. She can choose whatever she wants. I'm just gonna go magical five. carrots, ears <laughs> of corn, ears of corn. There we go. Five. There we go. <laughs> five naps. Five five dead girl shoes. Yes. No, five no single pink shoes. shoes. No, no, that's five horrible. Pink shoes. And um, I, I I'm also gonna give it. I guess I'm doing fives because I usually do tens. But uh, yeah, five out of five. Um, soot sprites. Yeah. By the way, soot sprites. They eat star candy. The same. Again, another thing from Spiritual Away. 
I see. I see. Uh, one other thing I did want to mention that I found out, uh, the city that it's this takes place in uh, Tokorozawa. I'm sure I missed Tokorozawa city in Saitama Prefecture. Thank you. I'm very bad at, with pronunciation. Um, it's uh, There's still some natural areas left, and there's a group of people that are trying to preserve what's left by buying up land. It is called Totoro no Furosato. Totoro's home, National Trust Movement, and it uses the Totoro as a symbol, uh, the character as a symbol. Yeah, it's, a, yeah, it's an ecological preservation yeah. movement that started up outside Tokyo that, that Miyazaki set up, and it uses Totoro as the mascot to, to save these wild spaces. Miyazaki donated watercolor pictures of Totoro to be used in pamphlets, membership cards, uh, T-shirts, all sorts of things, and he is supporting this movement. So it's really very cool. And they actually have um, the uh, replica of the farm set up. Uh, you can go and see Satsuki and May's house. Can I just say that the Japanese protest so much better than we do? <laughs> like, it is, like you create this farmhouse from this iconic Japanese animated film to bolster your support of keeping this wild, you know, this this natural habitat. But I would also like to say um, that it, I, I forgot to mention this when we talked about how the dark turns. And I know I'm bringing it down. I'm bringing it down. But they, one of the reasons why the fan theory they feel is true is because at this time period, at this time when they, you know, talked about the cat bus science and some other stuff, is that there was a disappearance in Japan about these two sisters. One sister disappeared and, and was found dead. Um, and they th- and her name was May, and they think that is why Miyazaki did it. But people forget they ask Miyazaki questions, and this man answers those questions, <laughs> and he says, "No, I did. <laughs> I did not associate it with that grim death of those two ch- of that child, or spoilers. I did not make Spirited Away about a brothel." Yes. Did um did you guys see May and the Kitten Bus? No. Apparently there's a 13-minute short film done as a sequel, which is called May and the Kitten Bus. It's one of the things that you can see if you go to the museum. By the way, can I just say right now that it's a shame that the only way you can get to the Studio Ghibli Museum is through travel agents and setting up appointments. Really? Yeah, you can't just walk into this place. No, it's, it's, appointment, it's an appointment-only museum. It happens. It is, but my God, that is such an influential museum. So I, I have a, a last bit of trivia. Uh, at the time that this was released, it was released as a double feature with Grave of the Fireflies. Yes. Oh, I forgot about that. Yes, it was. Oh, thank you, Nettie. Thank you so much for reminding me of this wonderful tidbit. Because I think this contributed to the downfall of the double feature in the drive-in. Because here's the deal. No one wants to go watch a brother and sister starve to death in in post-World War II Japan and then go see a happy-go-lucky movie about... Come on, on, kids, let's watch these two... Let's go watch these two cartoon movies. Cartoons are for kids. Have some popcorn. The thing that's funny is they booked it as a double feature because they said they didn't believe... Anyone would want to see a movie about two little kids and a monster in rural Japan. 
Yeah, but they'd want to see two people starve to death. I don't. I don't get it. I don't I, get it. <laughs> I. I do not want to see this double bill, and I can't. I don't think I have enough fluids in me for the amount that I would cry. I would dehydrate and die along with the characters. So, uh, last thoughts before we wrap this up because we've gone on very, very long. It's a good time. It's what I'm here for. <laughs> I, lo- I love this movie. Uh, this is one of those beautiful movies. I can't wait to share it with my nieces, with my niece and nephews, and with the rest of my family. Um, it, um, it's just so. I don't know. It's everything good about childhood imagination. And even in a dark and very serious situation like, uh, you know, a dying parent and being alone and scared in kind of a new place that if you just rely on your imagination for a little bit, everything can come out okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jen? It's a movie that everybody needs to go see. Like right now. Yeah. Yes. Like immediately. Like, <laughs> I thought cut this podcast off right now and go see this movie. Well, I hope you've seen this movie before listening to this podcast. But to me, this movie is just pure joy, love, and hope, and it makes me feel happy about myself, about the world, and everything. So, yay! Thank you for joining us. Um, what is next on our? Uh, Bill, the next time we are going to be discussing something from Studio Ghibli, we will be discussing Kiki's Delivery Service. And my predictions is it is going to be uh, another fun one. Tech, what's your prediction? I'm going to have to do some research. I grew up watching a lot of French animation uh, from France. And there's another thing about about a, a little girl in a big city, like a witch sort of a thing. And it it's very, very similar. So I'm going to have to do some research to see if the I can't remember the name of the French show to see who copied who. Mm. And I, I, I'm going to do some research on that. But I, I, I think this will be cute. I can't wait to see this one. I don't I don't think I'll find anything wrong with Kiki's Delivery because I've got blinders for that movie. That was, you know, my first Ghibli film. Well, you have no predictions. You've seen it. Yeah, uh, it's so. How do you think we'll see it? Yeah, what do you think our reaction will be? Ooh, that's an interesting question. Um, I think Tech is going to wish it had more guns. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I think the tech, the science, like the technology and science in it, you'll you'll enjoy. It's a baser version. There's not a lot of firearms. Eh, uh, I'll figure it out. But I think I think you'll like it. As for Nutty, though, I think Nutty will will like the fact that Miyazaki, for a male director and writer, kind of understands. I think this dude watched. Uh, it like, was a very strong female character. Yeah, I, cool. I, like, I'm not trying to say this dude like creeped on his daughters or kids or whatever, but this man understands teenage girls. Like he he gets it right. Like especially, and I think it's symbolized. Probably the best in Kiki's Lip Service. That he understands the problems that girls kind of go through with identifying as who they are and, you know, the things they go through, especially with Kiki's Lip Service. But he also gets children. Excellent. Excellent. So join us next time on Nutty and Tech's intro to Studio Ghibli. I'm Jen, and this is Jason. And you should be listening to the Talk Nerdy to Me podcast. That was a promo. Promo? You didn't even tell them they could find us on Facebook. Where? You mean at facebook.com slash nerdy to me? Yes, and what about their website? Uh, talknerdytomepodcast.com? Yes, but you didn't tell them. Oh, uh, 
TalkNerdyToMePodcast.com. Exactly. That would be a promo. Luckily, I was recording. Were you? Aww. <sighs> Nutty Bites is produced at Nimlas Studios. You can find us on the web at nimlasstudios.org. This work is created under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 Unported International License. What that means is you can share it, you can send it to your friends, you just can't make any money off of it, you can't change it, and you have to link back to me, my site, and everything. You can comment and send feedback by going to nimlas.org slash nuttybytes. You can go to facebook.com slash group slash nuttybytes. You can call the comment line by going to 347-NUTTY42, or you can find me on Twitter, you can search on Google+, you can search the web, you can find me everywhere.